Now, we, last year we had the series on uh, intimacy with God. And has that helped you in your walk with God? Praise God. You're getting to know more and more of God in intimacy. We're tracking with CCF Manila in a way that we're going to follow their series, which is knowing God. And in the process of us discussing the attributes of God, we're going to promise you that we will always repeat and repeat what this sign at the back says. This is a disciple-making church. And we will pound it every Sunday on all of us. Now we need to make disciples. And we are going to equip you. Your leadership has been discussing since Pastor Danny came back. That we are going to implement as a whole church. The GLC curriculum. We're going to do some adjustments. We're going to start our worship service 30 minutes earlier. So those of you who like to sleep. I suggest don't sleep. Just come here right away. All right? We're going to start it earlier. We're going to announce everything to you. But we're shooting for May 5. We will begin 9.30, one and a half hours. We'll have lunch. And then we'll have the rest from 12 to 1.30. From 12 to 1.30, we will have the GLC curriculum right here. In Manila, you will have to drive to CCF on another day. Here, sail. You come, everything is given to you. You hear God's word. You feed your soul. You, spe- you feed your body. And then GLC, you feed your mind and your soul. Alright? So, watch out for the announcements. If you're not yet on the CCF Google email group, Look for Brother Edwin or any one of your leaders. Write your email address. We will put you there. We've been announcing birthday celebrants as we did last Sunday. Is it tomorrow or Tuesday, Brother Edwin? Tuesday, April 16. Brother Edwin, our treasurer, is going to celebrate his birthday. Praise God for this brother of ours. All right. So... Let's get into it. Father God, we thank you for this time of worship. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing our hearts to you, just blessing your name. And I pray, Lord God, that you will speak in and through me this morning as I deliver the message that you've given to me and to your people. Bless the time that you've given us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Knowing God. That's going to be the thrust of the rest, perhaps, of our year, to know God. And we will know God through His attributes, who He is. There are so many, and we have sung about His attributes this morning. But you see, the word know has different meanings. You have two, at least two. There are still some more, but I'd like to focus on just two. Edo, in Greek, which means to know of anything to know, i.e. get knowledge of, understanding, perceive of any fact, the force and meaning of something which has definite meaning. To know how to be skilled in. That is usually head knowledge. I know of. How many of you know President Obama? You know who he is. But who is the best person who knows whom President Obama really is? 
his wife, his children, right? That's where you get the second word, which is ginosko. To learn, to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, to perceive, to feel, become known to know, understand, perceive, have knowledge of, to understand. The Greek idiom is used in the context of a husband and woman and wife relationship. Those of you who are married, who knows you the best? Your spouse. You actually have carnal knowledge. That is the idiomatic expression of the word genosco, to have carnal knowledge of your spouse. So it is not only head knowledge, but it is knowledge that you experience. It is experiential knowledge. So it is one thing to say, I know God. It is a different definition or a def- different word to experience God. You, am I getting through? It's one thing to know how to drive a car if you read about it. But you will only get to really know how what it means to drive a car once you're behind the wheel. Dad, can I borrow your keys? Why? I passed the written test. Uh-huh. So, I'm a good driver now. Why? I passed the written test. What? Until you get behind the wheel, you will not know what it is. Get it? So, that's the mindset of what we're going to do. We're going to share with you message upon message of knowing God, experiencing God through His Word as we discover His many attributes. This morning, the title of the message is The God of the How Much More. You like more? Or you like some more? Much, much more. Right? When God tells us, bear fruit, He doesn't just tell us to bear some fruit. He tells us to bear much fruit. So this morning, I'd like to share from God's Word. The God of the how much more. And we'll have one main verse, and I will give you a story from the Old Testament and contrast that with a story in the New Testament. Ephesians 3.20. Let's read this, please. Now, see, our, our verse this morning is so long. You can actually memorize this verse. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Do you see the God of the how much more in this one singular passage? Let me break it down for us. First, able to do. The Greek word for able to do is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. When you hear the word dynamite, what does that bring to your mind? Explosive. God has the explosive power to blast away all of your problems. Is this the kind of God that you want to be part of your life? If you have a big God, how big is your problem? Small. If you have a small God, how big is your problem? If you... <laughs> Brad. <laughs> I 
I rest my case. <laughs> if you have a big God, if you have an enormous, gigantic God, your problem is very small. You won't even consider them problems anymore. Why? Your God is so big that you have full confidence that God is able to annihilate your problem. But when your God is small, your problem seems so big. It's like you, ha- you cannot have victory over that problem. You cannot have victory over that struggle anymore. Why? You feel, you think, you believe that God is small. And many times, we put God in a box. And we forget that He is God who is able to do. He's dunamis. He has the power to blast away your problems. I don't know if you're old like me in the cartoons before. I will blow you up to smithereens. Now, to him who is able to do dynamic, explosive power, what else? Far more abundantly beyond. Look at those. Far more abundantly beyond. First Corinthians tells us that no eye has seen, no mind has heard. No mind has no mind no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God is preparing for those who love him. It should blow your mind who God is. Now look at this. Far more abundantly beyond. Hooper ek periso. Hooper means all. Ek means to intensify the meaning. Periso means beyond measure. This is the superlative of all superlatives. God is able to do with His power not only what you think, but far more abundantly beyond. Those of you who play Tong It's and Pusoy, good, I'm not teaching you to play, okay? Good, better, best. It does not even come close to who God is. Far more abundantly beyond. And that's why he said in John chapter 10, 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life. And what? Abundantly. Far more abundantly beyond. But we limit God. Oh, if God says he gives me abundant life, why is it that I don't have money? Why is it I have You see, we equate abundance with what? Material things. Not necessarily. Although some people are blessed materially, some are not. It doesn't necessarily mean that when God says that I will give them abundant life, is that you'll become rich. Not necessarily. For if God knows that if you are financially blessed, you might forget Him, then God will not bless you. What else? All that we ask or think. Everything you are capable of asking or thinking, God is more than able to supply the answer. It is not just a father who is willing, but he is not able. A father who is able, but he is not willing. We have those kinds of fathers, right? But God is a God who is both able and He is willing. That's the kind of father I want to go to. 
the God of the much more. Now, how do I know that God is the God of much more? Matthew seven eleven. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? How much more? Another one. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? How do I know that God is the God of the how much more? Because he said in Romans chapter 8, He, God, the Father, who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? I can say to you time and time again that God is the God of the how much more. But God has proven that when he says he loves us and he desires for us to live an abundant life, and I see this verse, I cannot doubt God. Because God promised salvation. And he gave it to us at the expense, at the cost of the life of his one and only son. Does God love you? What else does God need to prove? What else does God need to do to prove that He loves you? He gave up His one and only Son so that you and I could experience Him and the abundant life that He promised. The title of the message this morning is The God of the How Much More. But we can also title this message, Do Not Limit God. Pastor, you just shared with us that God is the God of the how much more. Explosive power, willing and able to do far more beyond whatever we ask or think. You're telling me that I can limit this God? The answer is yes. So don't limit God. Let me share with you. First, from the Old Testament. Let's read this. Now a certain woman... What is the condition... Of this woman. She is what? A widow. You lost your husband. If you are a wife, you lose your husband. What happens to you? Are you still a secure? No. Your husband, the head of the household, has died. Usually the primary breadwinner has died. So you're alone. What else? What else is the woman's problem? She's a widow. What else? Huh? 
She has children. Ah, creditors. Not only is she now without a husband, now she has debts. And the debts are so much that debt is overwhelming what's taking place. What is she telling the prophet Elisha? I lost my husband. I have unsurmountable debt. And now the creditors are going to take away our two children as payment for my debt. Dire circumstances. I mean, you're a wife, you lose your husband. Especially in those in their culture. We do. If nobody marries you again, sorry kanalang, nobody will support you. Nobody is responsible for you. To make matters worse, I have debt. To make matters even worse. The only thing that I have left are my two kids, and the creditors want to take them away to settle my debt. She goes to the prophet Elisha. What does Elisha do? Very easy. Here's some money. Pay up your debt. Let's see. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, I don't know what you're supposed to do with the jar of oil. Lotion, mga babae, mahilig ba? Oy, ayos. Diba? Sunscreen, okay. I don't have money. I don't have a husband. My creditors are taking away my kids. And all that I have in my house is a jar of oil. Now, we come to God many times. Diba? Him who is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly, far more than we can ask or think, ah, I will go to God. I have a problem. I have money problems. God will just give me money. Problem solved. Correct? That's many times how we go to God. God owns everything. I have a problem. I will just draw. Let's see. Then he said, Elisha said to the woman, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Don't get confused. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. You're a widow. You have money. Your creditors are threatening to take your kids. Now I have to go door to door. Hindi door to door na balik bayan box ha. Door to door. You have vessels I can borrow? How many? Everything that you have. Siguro dito nag-umpisa yung jaryo bote, no? Punta na naman siya. Imagine how embarrassing that is. Wouldn't you feel embarrassed? You have to go to your neighbors. You have vessels. Can I borrow? All the vessels you have. Can I borrow? Wouldn't you be embarrassed? Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors. Nako, kilalang kilala ka na sa subdivision mo ngayon. 
pangalan mo Miss B. Vessel. Bakit? Uy, pantayan mo si Miss B. Ihiramin niyo yung mga empty vessels mo. Kakahiya, di ba? It's so embarrassing. But, Elijah said, this is what you must do. Once you have gathered, gone to your neighbors, gathered all the vessels, you and your sons, go into your house, fill the vessels with oil. I only have one jar. But remember, God is the what? God of the how much more. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. Then the vessels were full. She said to her sons, bring me another vessel. And she said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Now the Bible does not say exactly how many vessels there were. But we know there were a lot. Did the widow obey? Did her sons obey with her? Yes. Was it logical for her to borrow vessels and fill these vessels with oil, knowing that she had only one jar left? Answer, no. But what did they do? They obeyed. They obeyed the God of the how much more. So as the vessels came, they began to pour oil from the singular jar that they had. This is full. Next. 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 Give me one more. Ma, all gone. And then, when all the vessels are filled with oil, what happens to the source? Just at the right time, when all the vessels that were gathered are full, that's the only time the oil runs out. Now, how much, how much oil did they put in the vessels? Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. How much oil? Enough first to pay the debt. Does she still have a problem of indebtedness? No. And then what else? You and your sons can live on the rest. So what did God do? Did God supply enough to pay off the debt? When the debt is paid, does she get to keep her children? Now that she has children, she needs, she doesn't have a husband. How are we going to live? On the extra oil. On the how much more. Not only did God supply enough to pay off the debt, God supplied far more abundantly that she now has even, shall we say, retirement. 401k. Imagine, all I have is a jar of oil. This is what you do. And many times, when God tells us to do something, it doesn't make sense. But they followed. They obeyed. 
and the debt was paid, the mother was able to keep her children, and they would now be able to live on the excess. Now, let's put it a little in mathematics. Assuming that they needed five jars, five jars to pay off the debt, and then they only gathered ten, will they be able to pay the debt? Yes. Will they be able to live on five jars? What if they gathered 20? They paid off the debt with five jars. They have 15. What if they gathered 50 jars? And they paid off their debt with the five jars. Do you think they will be able to live on the excess? Both she and her two children. Why? Because God is the God of the how much more. You see, I'm learning this principle. Obedience unleashes the power of God in our life. If the widow did not obey, because it doesn't make sense. If she did not obey, will she have experienced the God of the how much more? No. She may know in her mind about the God of the how much more. But she would have never experienced it for herself. If you're lazy, okay, I'll just obey God, but you know, this is making no sense. I'll just get eight jars. So I pay, the, I pay my debt with the five. I only have three left. Pretty soon that will run out. But if you just faithfully obey God and don't limit God and don't limit what God can do in your life. Imagine Pay off your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. God did not just solve her problem in the present. God solved her problem for the rest of her life. You and your son can live, can survive, can thrive on the rest. But what did they have to do? They had to obey God. They had to gather as many vessels as they could. If they did not, then they would not have experienced the God of the how much more. Now, I said this message can be titled, Do Not Limit God. So the question therefore remains is, how do I limit God? We just read in Second Kings about a woman who did not limit God. How do we, how do you and I, how do we limit God? The God of the universe. Let's look in the Gospel of Mark. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw them, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? Now a little background. Jesus, together with James, Peter, James, and John, went up to the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. The three disciples who were with him witnessed this. Now, discipleship. How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. That's his circle. That's his discipleship group. 
of the twelve, how many were with him? Three. You see, even Jesus had his so-called inner circle. Lord willing, when you develop your own discipleship groups, you will have twelve, and there will be certain people within those groups that you will be really more intimate in your discipleship relationship with others. Nothing wrong. So Jesus is already telling us, through His example, you may be able to disciple X number of people, but within that group, there will be some who will be really closer to you in discipleship than others. So Jesus brought Peter, James, and John. And they witnessed this. So they came down from the mountain. They saw Jesus Christ transfigured, shining brightly. Okay? So they knew that he was not only a religious leader. They knew that he was not only a miracle worker. Now they experienced firsthand that Jesus really is the Son of God. He was transfigured. So now they come down. And then this, there's this large crowd gathering. And they went up to see Jesus. Now imagine... Jesus is still perhaps glowing from his mountaintop experience, so to speak. And they began running up to greet him and said, What are you discussing? One of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with an evil spirit, which makes him mute. And whatever, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens up, stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. And what? They could not do it. Now, mind you, hindi kwentong kutsero to. There is spiritual warfare. We have seen it. My fellow pastor from Mindanao, Pastor Bob Lagman was until until the wee hours of the morning dealing with this spirit possessed woman. Maliit siyang babae. Small. She's a maid. But an evil spirit overpowered her and possessed her. And she would contort and she would speak in different voices. And she would be able to bend the bars. Alam mo sa Pilipinas, di ba? Our windows have bars to prevent the children from going out. Ah, no. To prevent, uh, to prevent the robbers from getting in. Late na ba? Binibend niya yun. So, nangyayari yan. Hindi lang sa sini yan. It's true. The Bible speaks of demon possession, just like this father bringing his son. Now look, the father has a problem. He brings his son, demon-possessed, to the disciples of Jesus, to the nine who were left. Remember, Jesus brought up three, right? He brought them to the nine. Now we do not know who exactly of the nine he brought his son to. But look, I told your disciples... To cast it out. And what? They could not do it. Ah, 
maybe these disciples were not empowered by God. Maybe that's why they could not do it. But wait a minute. In Mark chapter 3, he said, He appointed 12, not 3. He appointed 12 so that they would be with him and he could send them out to preach. And what? Look at verse 15. And have authority to cast out the demons. To whom did Jesus Christ give the authority? To the 12. So the nine who were left behind also had the authority. Correct? The three who were with Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration also had the same authority. Correct? So why were they not able to cast the demon out? If God said, if Jesus said that he has given them power, not only to preach the gospel, but to cast out demons in his name. Right? So what did Jesus answer? And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Hindi lang sa sinian. But what did Jesus Christ say was the problem? Oh, unbelieving generation. You see, no demon can stand the power of God. First, if you have God. You cannot cast out demons even in the name of Jesus Christ. If you first do not have Jesus Christ. Now, assuming all of us have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I cast you out, never to return. In the back of your mind, I'm just following. I don't really know. I don't really understand. But hey, tigina lang. Doon tayo. Oh, unbelieving generation. When you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you stand on the power of His name. So you have to believe. Because if you do not believe, what? You're limiting God. Oh, unbelieving generation. How long will I put up with you? And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Wow. The problem of this parent with his child has been since childhood. And not only does he foam in the mouth, not only does he contort his body, what else? He, he throws himself into the fire and sometimes he throws himself to the water to try. The devil is trying to kill the boy. Now you're the father. I know people. I know people who can solve my problem. I'll bring them to the disciples. The disciples could not do it. Why? Lack of faith. 
they did not believe. And even this man, look at his statement. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything. Do we go to God sometimes like that? When we have problems? Instead of God, you are the God of the how much more. Our approach to God is, you know, God, kung kaya mo, anyway, you're able to save me from going to hell. If you can. I mean, isn't that so disconnected? We trust God for our salvation. But we cannot trust God sometimes for, for a meal, for a job. So we go to God. Yes, God save me. And then on the way, oh, if, if you can, kung kaya lang. So disconnected. So he says, if you can do anything, take pity upon us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can? I mean, you're asking me if I can? If I can, what is Jesus' reply? All things are possible to him who believes. Bakit ang laki ng unbelief? All things are possible to him who believes. What happened? Verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. You see, it's one thing to say that you have faith. But it is another thing to exercise, to experience your faith firsthand. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, I believe. I believe that you can change my wife. I believe that you can change my husband. I believe that you can change my children. I believe that you can change my parents. So Lord, help me in my unbelief. I'm not yet there. I need to trust you more. You see, unbelief limits God's power. Is God able? But if you don't believe. There's a passage in the Bible, I'm not going to put it here anymore for sake of time. You know, Jesus did many miracles, right? But there were places that he did not perform any miracles. Why? Because the people did not believe. They did not believe. This person, this father of this boy who was demon-possessed since childhood, was mute, would often be contorted in his body, thrown to the fire, thrown to the water, the devil trying to kill this person. He goes to Jesus. And in his unbelief, though at the same time he believes, because if he did not believe, at least to some extent, he would not have gone to Jesus. Furthermore, why will I... Did I went to his disciples... They couldn't do anything. Diba na lang? Has, have you gone to Jesus with your problems, with prayers, with petitions? And then it's as if that God is not moving. God is not doing anything. And then, diba na lang? Wag na lang. Sayang. 
unbelief limits the power of God. What happened? When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and do not enter him again. The same authority that was in Jesus, He gave to His disciples. Then what happened? After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and he got up. Did Jesus solve their problem? Yes. Why couldn't the disciples do it? They had the same power. Why couldn't they do it? They did not believe So they asked the disciples themselves, they asked Jesus. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So what limits God? Unbelief. And prayerlessness. Kaya ko to. Huwag na natin istorbohin si God. Masyado siyang busy. Parang bahala dyan. You see, prayer expresses your dependence on God. Now, if you're not going to go to the source, how will He manifest His power in you? You're trusting in your power. You're not depending on God's power. You see, when you get Emails, text messages from us, your leaders, your pastors. When we say, please pray, we don't just do it because this is, this is what pastors do. They send out prayer requests. We really mean it. Can you please pray? This person, these people need our prayers. And if we know that you are praying for us, we feel strong. We feel the support. We feel the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Kahit nasaan ka man, just do you, you know that somebody is praying for you? That is an encouragement. Now, their question was very simple. Why couldn't we do it? The answer of Jesus was likewise simple. This kind can only come out through prayer. So, prayerlessness limits God. Those of you who are attending with us in Lakewood, right? When we studied the pattern of prayer, or what? When we pray, we begin with God. It's all about God. Ang style natin sa prayer dati, ano? God, may problema ako. Tulungan mo naman ako. Tapos, samahan pa natin ng unbelief. Pero kung masyado kang busy, okay lang. Tapos, at the end of the day, we get mad at God. God, you did not answer my prayer. Grabe ka. Why are you like that? Tapos sasabihin ni God, number one, you did not believe. Number two, you did not ask. Oh, tapos ako pasisihin mo. Kawawa naman si God. Talaga nakawa ako kay God. Kasi at the end of the day, siya nasisisi. Di ba? God, kailangan kong pagkain. May kakatok. Alam mo, God told me, God, move in my heart. There's a person in the community who needs food. Here, I bought you some groceries. 
Oh, thank you, ha? God, ngayon magluluto pa ako. Pabihira ka naman. Aba, hello! Ang gusto mo, nakahain pa? Susubuan ka pa? Ay, magpa-hospital ka? Mahingi tayo. We, we go to God, we ask, and then we have so many... God has to jump through hoops just to accommodate our prayer. And we expect God to do so many things when we don't believe and we don't pray. The God of the universe, we are able to limit, to put Him in a box when we don't believe and we don't pray. What did God tell us? Now He was telling them a parable, Jesus in Luke 18, that you ought to pray at all times. Why? Not to lose heart. I submit to you, prayer is not really for God. Prayer is for you and for me. When, when I talk to God, I feel close. When I'm talking to God, mahirap matem. When I'm praying, I'm always encouraged. Why? I'm talking to the God of the how much more. Kayang-kaya niya to. So Jesus is teaching us that prayer will allow us to keep on persevering so that we will not be discouraged, so that we will not lose heart. Yet, we don't believe and we don't pray. But we expect God to do so much more. We go back to our main text. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Who is this power that the Apostle Paul is talking about? The Holy Spirit. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, do you have the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Can you cast out demons in the name of Jesus? I hope you're not asking for encounters like that. But you have the power. So the problem is, why can we not appropriate that power? This is the same power that the Apostle Paul had, that the disciples of Jesus had. And this is the same power that is inherent in each and every born-again child of God. So why can we not display this power? Because of our unbelief and because of our prayerlessness. We limit God. Do not limit the God of the how much more. You are able to experience these kinds of life-to-life situations in the context of a small group. We have a group here who is here this Sunday because they decided to experience God through nature last Sunday. And we, I had planned with them I planned to give them a short devotional. I sent it to them. But God had other plans. 
their plans and my plan for them seemed not to sink. They could not open the devotional I sent. But as God would have it, He orchestrated events that instead of them doing the devotional that first night, they just being prompted by the power of the Spirit that works within us to just share their lives with one another. And one, wow, our problem is nothing compared to their problem, much more to her or his problem. And then the next day, they were able to open the devotional. And then they were able to connect and see the hand of God. So I just encouraged them. I see, you know what happened? Discipleship was going on. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why this is a disciple-making church. And that is why all of us want all of us to be in small groups. To get connected with one another. With one another so that we will see the manifestation of the power that works within us. You see, one's problem can be the other's encouragement and vice versa. My discouragement can empower God's moving in this life to encourage me in return. Am I communicating? But many times we limit God. And I'm guilty. And I will share with you what I shared with the Galatians class. You know about my wife. She's there behind you. This is her first worship service here. And one of these days, she'll come up here to share with you her own story. But the way God dealt with me was this. You all know that in January, she got hospitalized. We thought it was just a, a cold. But it was a combination of bronchitis and pneumonia. She could not breathe. She could not walk even perhaps to the door. Her lungs were already with fluid. She had dialysis that Friday. She was hospitalized Friday night. And three consecutive days, they dialyzed her and they withdrew approximately almost three pounds of fluid from her body every day. She was reduced to 101 pounds. One time I went into her hospital room and they were doing an ultrasound of her heart. Now we are all used to ultrasound of the outside, right? This ultrasound was a tube inside your mouth. Then the doctor said, Mr. Nolan, it, it appears that your wife has a tear in one of her valves, so we will have to do open heart surgery. Okay. But we do not do that in this hospital, etc., etc. Okay. So I was thinking. And then as I turned my back to go back to work, I saw her back. I really felt sad for my wife. And in my mind, I go, God, she needs to address her tooth. 
when that's done, she needs to go through open heart surgery. After that is done, that's the only time that we can even think of when she might be able to get a kidney. Plus, our eldest boy is planning to get married. How am I going to do all of these things? I had the genius idea. When she got released, I told her, Net, what if I just send you to Manila? We'll just buy a kidney. We'll just raise the money. We'll get a kidney there. You stay there. And then you help Lawrence out with his marriage plan. What she said, you know, I've been praying for that. But I did not want it to come from me. So for my wife, it is confirmation. Huh? But we have to flashback. Since day one, my wife, Lynette, and I were in agreement. Lord, we want what brings the most glory to you. And at the end, I was already wavering in my faith that I would take over the situation and just send her home. And she was willing to be apart from me for six months. Doon ka, magpagaling ka ron, help our son with his wedding plans, and then next year, after my probationary period, I can go home. You know, very logical, correct? Very human, correct? But who would have gotten the glory? Man would have gotten the glory. And not God. But what did God do? The God of the how much more moved. That she was in her dialysis chair last March 1. I was at work. And by 9 o'clock of the same day, they were putting a kidney inside her body. I am embarrassed that I would deprive God of His glory. At least try. Because I'm a human being. I have feelings. I feel for my wife having to stay there stuck with like two, two and a half inches of needles. One input, one output. Have to stay there for three hours. Her only means of communication would be face, Facebook, FaceTime. The only time that we can spend our Christmas is to say hi to our son Lawrence. Hi, how are you? Because he cannot come up, come here either. And then God reminded me, I will not share my glory with another. So I still thank God that He did not allow me to go over the edge. We had already spoken to people. We had already spoken to hospital directors. I already have the email address of the transplant doctor. But God did not allow me to go over the precipice. 
of taking his glory away from him. Because he is the God of the how much more. Let's not limit God. Let us persevere. Let us not give up. Let us cling to on with the faith that he has given us. And let us match it with a prayerful life. And as a fitting end to our time together, let us honor and celebrate God through the Lord's Supper. May I ask our D-group leaders to come up and help distribute the elements. The Lord's table is a celebration and it is also one of the two ordinances left by the Lord Jesus Christ for his church to continue to celebrate until he returns. The Lord's Supper and baptism. Before we part, as the gentlemen are coming up to distribute the elements, let's look at 1 Corinthians 11 and read the basis for why we are doing what we are doing. For I see from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. This is remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who drinks and eats, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. The Lord Jesus commands us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is in commemoration of how Jesus Christ took all of our sins upon his body on the tree where he died as full payment of all our sins. It is also in commemoration and celebration of his shed blood at Calvary. Because the book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are forgiven of all our sins. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is both a time of reflection and a time of rejoicing. A time of reflection because the Lord commands us that we are to examine ourselves. We are to examine, in verse 28, let a man examine himself. And then it is also a time of rejoicing. Examine ourselves if there is any sin that we are not willing to give up. That would be partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. But if you are willing to give up sin, willing to draw power from the Holy Spirit to help you in your struggle with sin, then be free to partake with us. It is also a time of rejoicing that you do not need to pay for your sin. All of our sins have been bought and paid for, sealed with the blood of Jesus. So let none of us partake of the Lord's Supper 
flippantly, without thinking about it, or without the willingness to turn away from our sin. If you are willing to take away, to remove yourself from sin, to ask the Lord to forgive you, to ask for the empowerment of His Holy Spirit, then feel free to partake with us. And I ask the gentleman to give me a piece of the bread and a cup of juice. See, the Bible does not tell us that the juice or the bread changes literally into the body and blood of Jesus. These are just representations. These are just elements to remind us. Why is it that grape juice kaya? Bakit? Well, Jesus Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So it's a fitting symbolism. During their time, it was wine. Today, we have grape juice. During their time, they had bread. And so as we have bread. The bread is the symbol of the body of Christ. While the juice is the symbol of His, un his unblemished shed blood for the remission of our sins. If you like to, you can bow your heads and just meditate on the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine our heart. And we'll pray and we will partake together. Oh God of the how much more. How could we doubt? How could we limit you? How could we not depend on you? Through prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for speaking to me, for speaking through me, Lord. And I pray that we will be able to appropriate your awesome power that lives within each born-again Christian. To live a victorious Christian life, Lord. To believe and to pray. Lord, we believe. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief so that we might see your power, your glory, your majesty, your holiness displayed in our daily lives. In obedience to your command, Lord Jesus, we take this piece of bread which represents your body. Thank you, Lord, that you took all of our sins upon your body and you hung it on a tree. And the stripes that you bore Bring healing, Lord. Not only physical healing, but more importantly, spiritual healing, Lord God. When your son, Jesus Christ, took all of our sins upon his body on that tree. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to go to the cross on our behalf. Let's partake together. Taking the cup of the juice, let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sin. Thank you, Lord God, that when God the Father sees us, he no longer sees our sinfulness, but he sees your blood. Thank you, Lord, for discovering of your blood. And we will celebrate, Lord God, and we will remember what your son Jesus Christ went through to purchase our salvation. Lord, let this be a deterrent, a reminder, especially when we are tempted, Lord God, 
that we should flee from temptation and run to you because you have paid a dear and expensive price for our salvation. You shed your blood, Lord, for our sins. You didn't need to, but you willingly did. So we thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Let's partake. Our Father, we just want to thank you that we can (coughs) study your word, celebrate the Lord's table. And I pray, Lord God, for everyone here, including myself, that you would teach us, that you would train us not to limit you, but to exercise eyes of faith and to continue to depend on you through a vibrant prayer life. Lord God, thank you that we are embarking on the equipping of your saints with the new GLC program that we will be implementing in the month of May. Lord, I pray that we will not limit you. We will not limit you from being able to speak to us through that material. That all your people will come here, albeit earlier, but we pray and we trust and we ask that we will all come here eager, excited to learn, excited to be able to be used by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the expansion of his kingdom, his awesome kingdom, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who have seemingly unsurmountable problems. Lord, thank you for reminding all of us that you are the God of the how much more. And the only people who are limiting your power in our lives is none other than ourselves, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord, for our unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, for our prayerlessness. Allow us, Lord, a renewed vigor as we leave this place to trust you more. To commune with you more, Lord, in prayer. Not only to speak to you, but for you to speak to us as we patiently listen and persevere and wait for your answer. This is our prayer, Lord God, in agreement and in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Glory to God. We have discussion questions for you as you break out into your groups. Three questions. In what way have you limited God in your life? Just one. For the sake of time, just one. Okay, be specific. Okay, be specific. Second, why is it difficult to trust God in the big things of your life? And lastly, how would you knowing God impact your spiritual walk? All right?